0: Hey guys, I'm Stash, alcoholic. Um, <laughs> I was thinking, which one? Like, I've been in so many hairy situations. Um, yeah, that's kind of just how I do it, right? Like, I go have all these adventures, and then I come and bitch about it in that golden. <laughs> that's pretty much what I do.
1: But anyway, um,
0: yeah, so. Obviously, I'm here because I'm an alcoholic, and I was thinking about this before I came in, and uh, I always have trouble remembering my sobriety date, so I like wrote it down for myself. But my sobriety date is December 28th, 2014, and that's the last drink that I had. Um, and kind of in reflecting about that day, A lot of stuff came up for me, so I think that's where I'm gonna start. Uh, Yeah, so it was 2014, a couple of days from, you know, New Year's and a couple of days after uh, Christmas. And um, I was in my apartment, I was alone, and I think I was watching Way Miz. Don't remember a fucking thing, Uh, never seen that movie since. Um, But I remember having a bottle of something, or maybe more than that, and just completely feeling alone, um, completely feeling lost, and feeling like in this cycle of my life that I couldn't escape. Um, That's kind of what drinking had come to at that point. But I had no intention of that being my last drink. Um, I had made a plan for myself uh, which is weird to say now because thinking back like by no means did I think I was an alcoholic um, I'll kind of get into it later, but alcoholic to me like that was a totally different meaning It didn't mean AA. It didn't mean oh you need help. It meant like I could drink um, And up until that point that was kind of what i had been working on every time, you know um, but that particular day there was just something about that depth of loneliness that I had hit time and time again. Um, but my plan was uh, that I was gonna stop drinking to be healthy um, for, I don't know, a month, a couple of months, uh, a year even. Um, and that came about because like, I'm the kind of person that when I get an idea, like, I don't fucking tell anybody because any kind of um, opposition to that, oh man, like if I wasn't doing it before, I'm gonna do it now. And so what actually happened was I had gone, you know, a couple of days without sharing this idea of not drinking with anybody. And I decided to test it out on a friend and I was just like, yeah, so um, you know how some people don't drink for like a month or whatever? Like I was thinking about doing that. And they were like, "Oh, really?" Um, and they didn't really understand like why. They just kept asking, like, "Hmm, you know, like, what an idea, what a thought." And uh, and I was like, "Well, I actually kind of want to do it a little bit longer. Like, I think maybe a year." And the first thing that came out of that person's mouth was, "You know, it's totally okay if you don't make it that long." Um <laughs> And, like, who knows what the fuck else they said Because I stopped listening at that point All I heard was, you said something to me that I don't think you can do Therefore, like, you're off the hook And that ignited, like, something that I didn't even know could happen um, So I did um, But my plan was to make it to New Year's Eve Because there's no way that my last drink was going to be as depressing as it was Um, But that didn't happen because, you know, I'm kind of a grandma and uh, I couldn't decide (laughs) on what to do for New Year's, so uh, I didn't do anything and I think I fell asleep and therefore my clock had started on my year and uh, I just kind of continued like that. And so what I was thinking about when I was, uh, you know, preparing was like, what had led up to that decision? And it was funny because, uh, I don't know, I was in a relationship. Um, There was this girl that I had been hanging around bars, knew a couple of my friends, and uh, she was really hot. And uh, I didn't want anything to do with her. Like, she was too hot, didn't want to deal with it, too smart, like, she was just, like, the perfect woman. And so, of course, when we would go drinking, I don't know what would happen like some other part of me stash would come out actually the way that I got that name was in college because nobody could pronounce my real name sober let alone drunk and so when I would introduce myself to people they didn't know what I said so I got called all sorts of things and so my roommate at the time was like you know you should just tell people that your name is stashed and so like I would go around drunk in the bar like doing this kind of thing and whatever just whatever I could hand gestures to get people to like call me by something you know whatever so that part of me would come out when I would drink you know at least at the beginning um it was this confident you know cocky even person that like I knew what I wanted I knew what I didn't it was this alter ego of I don't care if I don't belong because I'm going to make this place like I'm going to own this place and I'm going to own the people. Um, And I very much had that attitude like I wanted to have fun and if you weren't having fun I wasn't around you. So back to the hot girl like I just uh, I remember one day like so I would get so drunk um, I couldn't walk I couldn't drive I would pass out a lot of places and like to me That was just what happened, you know, like nobody was telling me otherwise a lot of my friends Even if they weren't at that level, like, we would still go out, but I didn't need a crowd to go out. Like, I just drank on my own. I would show up at the bar by myself, and I would always have friends to drink with at some point, you know? Um, And so one night, everybody had left because that's what the kind of friends I had, you know, like I didn't really have anybody checking in on me. I probably told everybody that I was good when I wasn't. Um, And therefore, I was in a lot of situations that um, I'm really glad today that I got out of. But, you know, thinking it over, like it was it was not the smartest way to go about living your life. Um, So one night I was too drunk to leave the bar and this girl uh, offers me a ride, I guess. And it was in her car on the way to wherever before I passed out. I just, like, blurted out, "Um, you're too hot, you're too good for me, I would never be with you, and then, like, passed out. And I woke up at her place, (laughs) and, like, a couple of weeks later, we moved in together. Um, And it's just, like, (laughs) you know, like, I laugh now, but there was a lot of that kind of... um, Thoughtless uh stuff happening in my life, you know. Um, and for a while it was good, but um, you know, as any alcoholic may have experienced, um, there was like underlying stuff that was going on with me for a while that I had never really tended to. And one of those things that crept up early in our relationship, it was probably like within the first year I would say, um, it was like around holiday times, and for whatever reason, that's a really hard time for me. Um, at that time, I, I regularly got a seasonal depression, um, but this, whatever I was going through, um, was bigger than anything I had ever dealt with. And so, here we are in a relationship, planning our lives together. You know, I really, I really tried to do everything that I could to be the kind of person that he would want to be with, somebody would want to be with. Um, So I was like getting promotions at work. Like I was, you know, our friends were friends. We were looking for a house. We were talking about kids, like all of these really traditional things that I thought I didn't really care about, like I started to care about. Um, I was getting a little bit older. I was, you know, I wanted to settle down. And so, When the depression came, pretty much anybody knows me to the point of that. Whenever depressive episodes would come, no matter how long they would last, um, I didn't have anybody to talk to about them. I didn't openly share that kind of stuff. Like you may have seen me upset or whatever, but like, you had no idea why. Nobody did. And so that person that I was with, kind of like, we were on our way to do, um, I think it was like a coke drive or something for um, Thanksgiving or one of the holidays. And it got to the point where I couldn't get out of the car. Um, I was just complete, I don't know, like, I, I it's hard for me to talk about now because I don't really relate to that, um, as much anymore, but long story short, it, 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 kind of put a dent in our relationship. Everything that we had talked about that previous year came to a halt because, um, I was very suicidal. Um, I remember I was working from home for about eight months at the time before I got the promotion that I was in. um, I was still drinking at that time. This is before you know I, I made the decision to stop, um, and you know work was not any help. Um, it was a drinking environment. There were happy hours. Our office was in the parking lot of Night Cat. Like we had meetings at the bar, and you know when we would get off of work, if you didn't go to the patio to drink, like people were looking. So, I invited that, you know, Uh, I invited that culture, but what that meant for me is that um, I started to become very dishonest. Um, I would say I would be home at a certain time and, you know, I would say, yeah, babe, I'll be home at 6.30 and here it was, 3 a.m., I was walking in with, like, friends and this and that. Like, I was just completely, I was the type of person that, like, you probably couldn't believe what I was saying because I didn't even believe it. and so that, plus the depression and everything, like I think that, to be honest, really scared people. Um, not everybody knows how to react um, when you say that you're having certain thoughts or you can't get out of bed or, in my case, out of the car. And so it started to raise some flags. And that is uh, the suggestion that came out of that was therapy. <laughs> and I was like, there's no... There's no way i'm going to therapy like that's for white people i'm just kidding um it was just like one of those things <laughs> that you know i had never really been to a doctor i did not grow up in a household that we talked about things like to me it felt uh like i was betraying um i don't know myself my family like whatever the issue was i'm not going to talk to you about it and so um I don't know. I guess what I'm saying is like, that's what it was like for me, you know. it, it um, In some weird way, I was living a life that nobody really knew, and um, this being the first time I think I was like, I was like 27, 28 or something like that, and it was the first time in my life that somebody had looked at me and been like, are you okay? Um, And I didn't know how to answer that. So, um, you know, before I get into, like, the solution and, and what therapy did for me outside help and all that kind of stuff, like, it makes me reflect on back, like, okay, so what else did I have going on that, you know, what would I even talk about? Um, so yeah, like growing up, you know, it it was just like, I was an only child. I was very close with my parents. My dad was my best friend. Um, I grew up in San Antonio, which is, um, a very conservative, conservative place. Uh, if you're not from there, you're not not familiar, like it's, you know, it's very brown, but at the same time, it's also very religious and very cultured, which means that, um, being gay is a no-no to some families. Um, you know, education pretty much is not entirely encouraged, especially if no one in your family has had any experience with that, you know. Um, so I was kind of in this place where, um, although I had thoughts, they were nothing like what my family thought. And so from very early on, I felt different. Um, and. I don't know why, I don't think anybody told me, I just felt like nobody could know. Um, And that's another thing that I started to realize is like, I, even as a child, like, was so afraid of people finding out who I was, um, that I think I tried every which way I could to fit the ideas and like the molds of my family and the people around me, Um, but the truth of the matter is, like, nobody that I can think of um, was like me, you know? Um, And so, I don't know, like, maybe somewhere along the line, drinking, you know, became that thing that made me feel less different, but, um, you know, I, we moved around a lot, and in my family, like, work was a big deal. Um, We were working class. We had enough, and I grew up fairly well, but um, we were always one paycheck away from not having a place to live. Um, And that is a mindset that I adopted, you know, for myself into my adulthood. Like, you don't really care about getting older. You don't care about health insurance. You you just kind of live for the day. And um, that was enough for me, you know, like um, I knew that there were certain things that I wanted, um, but I also knew I had big shoes to fill. So I think early on, like I started to experience, um, like I had drive, I had talent, I was pretty smart, but I fucking hated school. Like I never went to school. (laughs) I remember being very young and like fighting with my mom about getting up for the for school and I would turn over and just like not go, and um, you know that may be the the Taurus in me just being like nope, putting my foot down as a five year old or whatever it is. But um, that's not a very good. I don't recommend that everybody stay in school. Um, but ultimately, what that did was um, it led me to a point where I really liked learning that I didn't like authority, I didn't like being told what to do, and I didn't like doing things on other people's time. And so, as you can imagine, um, that's a problem, especially when you're a Maldi kid, trying to tell people, like, no, like that's not, I'm not gonna do that, I don't care if all those other little kids are napping, I don't wanna nap. Um, So I kind of had that mentality that like nobody could really tell me what to do, And I thought that was a strength, but now that, (laughs) now that I look at it, it was a pretty uh, bratty, selfish thing to go around the world thinking, like, your opinion is the only one that matters. Um, so, yeah, anyway, um, so we moved around a lot. I didn't have any friends. Um, we probably moved every six months to a year, I would say, um, and so what that led up to is uh, I didn't really have a lot of accountability. And so by the time we settled down, um, I had gotten really involved in sports. Sports was the thing that I lived for. I loved to read and I love to play sports. And so um, I started doing that. And I got to the point where I was playing with college-level kids, and I was probably middle school. I was playing with grown men, which I miss doing. Um, I would play with my teachers. Like, I would play with anybody better than me so I could beat them. And um, what ended up happening is I, I had made it to a point where I was playing sports year-round. Um, whatever sacrifices my parents had to make, like. They did it. Sometimes they couldn't come see me because they couldn't afford to. Um, that's actually how I started coming to Austin. Um, was through like travel teams and stuff like that, and um, I really loved it. And I saw myself doing that for a while, and so that was my ticket to, out to college. Even though my family wasn't gonna, you know, support that financially or, or otherwise. Um, and it was my ticket out of San Antonio. I was going to see the world through the NBA because that's what I was going to be in. Um, Or I was going to be a teacher. Either one of those was like the thing that I was gearing towards. But when I was 15, um, during a game, I think it was the second game of the season, uh, we were playing. There was a couple of seconds left. I stole the ball from the other team, and when I turned around, I snapped my knee and I heard just this like loud pop. And I went down, I got carried off the court, and the first thing I asked when I got into the locker room was like, when can I go back in? And uh, that was it. Like, we didn't have health insurance. I think the surgery was like 25 grand, which we didn't have. Um, and I didn't have a plan B. Like. I made straight A's and stuff, but I didn't ever imagine not being able to play basketball. So within six months I was expelled. Um, I think like a week or two after I tore my ACL, I stopped talking to all my friends. Um, I started hanging out with older people that I didn't really know that well. Some kids that lived in the neighborhood next to our school. And uh, Just around that time, my dad had lost his job. So we were, my parents were driving me like 35 minutes out of the way to um, go to my school and uh, we didn't live in the district. So that caught on pretty quick and I would get dropped off. I would leave campus and then I would come back on campus before um, my dad would come and get me. And the principal Noticed that I hadn't been in class for like three months, and so um, I played basketball with his daughter. They they knew everybody knew, but I was like, oh, I, I hope everybody doesn't find out, you know. Like still that mentality, and so yeah, I started drinking very heavily. Um, I started doing drugs, and uh, that continued for a very long time. Um, so. The drive in me, kind of like, I got myself into college, I sold my car, Um, I paid for it myself, Um, I did like a couple of semesters, I was taking six courses and working two jobs and then my best friend died. Um, She was a runner, she had been somebody that I had known since I was like, uh, you know, when I started playing sports or whatever, there was like a group of us and um, she was running college track. And uh, you know, living the dream, doing all of the things that I thought I'd be doing at that point, and um, got, got drunk. I hit uh, drunk. Got hit by a drunk driver, and uh, died. And I think that was really the point where I lost all control. Like the ACL was the reason I stopped caring. Um, I was super depressed during that time. I was making a lot of decisions that I didn't realize were going to impact, like, the rest of my life. But nothing to the point where the consequences were never big enough for me to stop and look at what I was doing. Um, I got, like, I got estranged from my family. Um, I moved out, I think, the day I turned 18. I think I probably moved out before then, but, like, officially, like, signed whatever I could sign. Um, And then when Elisa passed, it was just like... Man, I remember just like completely stopped believing in God, which for me was a huge deal because I had been raised Jehovah's Witness. So a lot of my early years were all about religion and all about service and like you know I was that little child like going door to door on Saturday morning. <laughs> um, y'all probably slammed the door in my face a couple times, but um, you know like I believed it. And that was the kind of person I was. Like, I was going to do anything unless I believed in it. And uh, I fully believed in my rebellion. Like, um, which at the time is what everybody thought it was, you know? Like, so, um, yeah. Friend dies. All of that happens. And, um, you know, the next, I don't know, decade or so almost is kind of a blur. You know, it's just... I would get in a relationship, I would lose a friendship. Um, I started to realize like the people I had around me were also getting in trouble. Um, Some of them were like in school, but I wasn't really connected to anyone. Like I kind of just hopped around from group to group, which is what I was used to doing. And um, you know, like I would be friends with somebody or whatever, but then some shit would go down and and we would stop talking for whatever reason, and I just kind of continued in that pattern forever. So, let um, me check this real quick. I, you know, when I think about it now, um, there wasn't much pause in my life. Like, I didn't really have any goals. Um, everything had kind of gone down the drain with with my ACL, and that sounds. It kind of sounds like an excuse, but to me it was like so many years passed in a period of time where I had no direction whatsoever. Um, And you know, I talked kind of earlier about like the culture in San Antonio. And even though we had moved around through my childhood, like San Antonio was what I considered like my home. And so not being able to talk to your family not feeling like I had any friends, like really not being able to identify with anyone around me. Um, even in college, like I never, I never put the effort in. Um, I, I just got to a place where um, I was really good at deflecting. You know, like I really don't like the spotlight on me, which I think probably helped my addiction for a really long time. Um, I can make things look better than they did, but I don't know that there was any place in my life that I was being honest um, to anyone, even myself. Um, so along with the fear of like people finding out who I was, like I can't really say that I knew who I was. And so um, some of the things that kind of got me to the place of coming into AA was, like I talked about before, therapy. Um, so it, beca- it became an ultimatum in my relationship that I was so desperately trying to keep because to me, it was just like, I never expected that anybody would love me ever. Um, not that way. not And to lose that relationship at that period of time probably was the thing that I felt like if I lost that, then I would literally have no reason to to be doing anything. Um, and so that kind of goes to um, how I felt about myself, which I bring up because I don't think, like I would have never described myself as a person that had low self-esteem or um, depression, wasn't something that I knew anything about, um, any of the stuff that was going on, like I really didn't, I didn't have the language to describe what I was living. Um, and so in therapy, I had some really shitty therapists. Like I had a lot, I had a therapist that, uh, smoked a lot of weed and and during our sessions, they would talk about like, I don't know, I'd be talking about something and they'd be like, yeah, um, Like, I wish I could go outside right now and just, like, smoke under that tree or whatever. And, like, man, y'all, get some insurance because doing the other shit is, like, hard. Um, So it took me a few uh, therapists to really understand, like, the motivation and, like, anything about it. Um, And so uh, there was just this... um, Looking at... At this thing. So coming into AA, like it was something that a therapist had suggested. And I didn't know anything about AA. Um, I didn't want to know anything about AA. But when I decided to stop drinking, uh, the only thing that changed was that I wasn't drinking, which means that I wasn't having any fun. Like everything I did in my life, I was used to having a drink. And so, when I decided to stop drinking, I was still hanging around the same people. I was still going to happy hours. I would still have the same friends. I still don't have any goals. Like, it was basically like I pressed pause on my life, and I took the one thing out of it that I knew better than myself. Um, And um, I, I drowned. Like, I... I would say me not drinking was probably the best and the worst thing that had ever happened to me because without help, it was a very, very hard journey. Um, I think I was dry for about, about 17, maybe 18 months. And like I said, nothing externally was changing, but everything inside of me was erupting like, all of these feelings I had that I didn't know how to talk about. I didn't know where to take them. Um, Work was, like, going good, but it was also hard to be around people that drink all the time. So I would convince myself that um, I didn't have a problem with it. And I would have people ask me, like, oh, do you mind if I drink around you? Oh, do you mind if I do drugs around you? Like, all this stuff. And I'm like, no. Like, I'd be doing it if I could, but, you know, still on this year thing, um, like totally convincing myself that I was going to go back to that. And I think for a long time that was my, the only reason why I could stay dry because I wanted to be able to say that, that I could, but something else in me knew um, that I needed help. And um, so by the time I made it to AA, I had not been drinking, for about a year and a half, and um, an old friend that I had, I used to work with uh, reached out to me to make an amends, and it was kind of funny, because I didn't really know what an amends was, but I was like, yeah, like, sure, let's do it, like, how are you, whatever, you know, um, and it turns out that, you know, they were doing the program, and we had been sober, at the same time, two weeks within each other. But we hadn't talked for the past two years, so, like, we didn't know that both of us weren't drinking. And so I was very curious, you know? Like, I could see the changes in them. Um, and, I, and I would say that that was, for me, like, the attraction, not the promotion. Um, so I ended up coming around Bolden a couple of times, but that placement, like... I would get so scared to walk up to meetings, even when I wasn't going for myself, that like I just felt like I wanted to cry. Like I was so scared that when I would finally get the nerve to walk in, I'd be all sweaty and I'd be shaking. Um, I couldn't look up. I never heard what anybody was saying. Like and so being in that room, like it, it almost felt um, I don't know, like something inside of me was waking up to the fact that maybe I should be sitting in one of these seats talking and sharing and, like, trying to figure out, like, what the hell is going on with me. Um, Because my whole life up until that point was just, like, everything was happening to me. Um, I wasn't a part of anything. Um, I mean, I was doing okay. I was never, like, I thought I was good because I didn't have to ask anybody for help, not for anything, but I I sorely needed it. And I, at the time, like, I think I looked at asking for help as a weakness and knowing me, like, and everything I had been through, like, that was the last thing I was going to do was show any kind of weakness because then I just felt vulnerable. I felt like that's the last straw. If anybody sees how truly, like, how much I'm hurting – then there's no going up from that. And so uh, the weird thing though is that when I wasn't at Bolden, I was having a lot of fun (laughs) with Bolden people. Um, And so like, I think that was the other thing is that I started to meet some people that, like they didn't seem weird and they actually seem like people I might wanna hang out with, but I had no idea that some of them would become what they became. Um, so, uh, just kind of getting into that thing, like, um, I met a sponsor when I finally decided to, like, admit that I was coming to meetings for myself, um, that took some time, uh, I had my first sponsor for uh, a couple months, we didn't work any steps, we just, like, went out to gay bars and stuff. Um, did like a parade and like whatever but one thing that they started doing with me was they would chat me every morning at like 7 or 8 a.m. to ask how I was doing Um, and that was really weird for me because not even my family did that so like AA as a whole thing like it just started to become a big part of my life um, which I'm really glad for but at the time like it was kind of it was a hard adjustment for me. And so, um, after a couple of months, like that first sponsor, I would say uh, they kept me from doing a lot of things that I think I felt like I had to do. Um, but they weren't—they ended up not being a, the right fit for me, which I'm really glad um, I realized at the time. Because then <laughs> I asked the next person to be my sponsor, and I fully expected them to say no. Um, because I don't know, like it took me a really long time to figure out what my place was in AA. I think I was trying really hard to figure out how to do everything. And I wasn't getting the fact that you just show up. And so my second sponsor really helped guide me with the steps, first of all, like that's a pretty good place to start. And, uh, I was terrified of them um, because, like, they seemed like they had a really good life, and I felt really guilty for taking up any time for anyone, um, you know, to, to talk to me, or about me, or whatever, and it was really embarrassing, because, I mean, God, for years, we would go to all these public places, and do step work, and I would just be a fucking mess, like, I would be, hysterical and I just thought I was the worst ever and they were either the kindest person in the world, the most patient or they just knew what it was like to feel like that. Um, and so that really helped me. Um, once I started doing amends, I think that's really where I started to grasp a lot of the concepts of the, of the uh, program and um, it took me a while to feel a part of for sure. Um, I definitely dodged people. I didn't talk about how I felt. I was okay sharing in meetings, but I really didn't want to connect outside of that. And, um, and when I started making amends, like those didn't go the way that I thought they would at all. So it started to kind of show me like, no matter what I planned, no matter how I thought about things in my head, like there could be other options. Um, but I will say that sponsorship for me um, which I, I was also terrified of like I thought I had to know everything and I thought that um, I don't know like I, I put a lot of pressure on myself to, um, to just be that like perfect person and uh, just isn't, isn't the case but once I, I worked with a couple of people and they went back out, and I never saw them again. Um, and it was like heartbreaking for me. And uh, I kind of got through that by um, talking to other people about it and be like, "Man, like I did something really wrong because they just like didn't take." And it was explained to me that you know um, it wasn't about me, and that when people are ready to hear it, when people are ready to put in the work, they will. And so. When I started sponsoring, I was still very much deep in the program myself, um, and I and I would say that's the, the, the truth today. Um, just because I'm working with somebody else, by no means, like, that makes me work even harder with my sponsor, and I continuously do fear inventories, and I talk about, like, being honest, and it's just a thing that um, if I'm not working with somebody on either side, I start to feel those things that I kind of talked about before, like, not feeling a part of, feeling like I can't tell anybody anything. And that's a very dangerous place for me to be. Um, So the other thing that I've learned from all of this is just, like, being still and listening and not trying to pretend like I know it all, not trying to figure anything out. Um, I think life is hard enough than trying to put that kind of spin on it. Um, But I'll say, like. I think what are we in 2020 so I'm coming up on six years Um, and I would say for me in my opinion like I don't know what kind of sponsee I am but I'm just now getting to the point where clarity is starting to set in I am just now able to look at you all and you know I was very shaky when we started and I and and there's something about a collective. There's something about being honest with you guys, knowing that you're gonna be honest as well. That's helped me heal things that I think I came in with. Um, I think a lot has happened in my sobriety. I've, I mean, just in the last five months, I've had uh, I lost my job that I had for seven years. That I moved to Austin for. Um, which is weird because I was drinking when I had that job and then I wasn't. Um, and I heard somebody say in the meeting last night that a lot of their behavior was still based on who they used to be. Um, and I, and I can see that I relate with that. Um, my mom got remarried. My parents got divorced probably like eight years ago for an only child. That's a weird thing to happen. Like for the only two people that, you know, as a constant, even if it wasn't perfect, like not having that, like really affected me, even as an adult. Um, So my mom got remarried. Uh, My, one of my family members, my favorite aunt passed away in an accident. Um, I went on a two week road trip with my sponsor, (laughs) which didn't kill me. (laughs) Um, I, you know, I had to leave my apartment because it was just like, a better choice for me to not live in the city than just keep trying to figure out how to do things. So I guess what I'm saying is shit happens, you know, life happens, and none of this is the way that I thought it would be. But the coolest part about all of this is, one, that on the day that Spike asked me to speak, um, I was having one of the worst days of the last few months. Um something had happened. I got really shaken. um, And I had reached out to about, I don't know, 10 people or something. And nobody called me back. Nobody responded. And I was just like in this panic. Um, And, uh, you know, I wanted to change how I felt. I I wasn't, I was uncomfortable in this situation, this circumstance. And, um, And I like went to go do something and I came back and I had not only did everybody respond, but like I realized that I have people. And that is not something that I would say I ever had before I started the Worky's program. Um, Spike was one of those people that I have gone to know outside of here, um, who is someone that I have admired. Like I was scared to talk to her in meetings because she just intimidated me, like a lot of you guys do. You know, I look at people and I think that they have their shit together, and I don't, and, um, you know, I need to figure out my stuff before I approach anyone, um, because I need to be on that same level, and it's like, that's the worst way to approach anything, and so one of the things that happened that day was, you know, Spike was like, hey, how are you? We chatted a bit, and she was like, hey, by the way, uh, I need this speaker for the second Friday of August. (laughs) Do you want to speak? And I was like, Oh, like I just, of course that would happen. Right. Um, but just like I do with my sponsor, I've never told her, no, I don't care how I feel about it. And that's been one of the things to save my ass in this program, um, is knowing when to put your ego aside and just fucking listen. Um, and uh, I have some of the best relationships that I could ever imagine. And I get to work on the kind of person that I want to be rather than holding all this shame about the person that I thought I was or the person I'll never be. Like there's still time. Um, and somebody in this, I don't know if they're here, but somebody in, gave me some advice last night. Um, and I was just like, I'm terrible at speaking. Like I get so nervous and I be really, like, did anybody get drunk when you told your story? And I was like, I don't know. And they're like, did you? And I said, no. And they're like, then you did fine. And that's the kind of shit that I need to hear because my brain likes to tell me otherwise. So I think we're at about time. Um, I'm glad that you guys are here. And thank you for letting me of service.